Hello everyone, just a quick message before you delve into the backlog of the After Film School Club podcast. In the first half of 2020, we went under the name of the Above the Line podcast, since that's the website where we were exclusively based for that time. Rest assured that you listen to the right podcast now when you listen to this episode, because we've rebranded and have released all our exclusive episodes for free. So, we hope you enjoy where we started off, and continue to enjoy where we're going to go in the future. Happy listening! Hello everyone, welcome to the Above the Line podcast with me, your host, Simon Ramshaw, where I sit down with filmmakers, film critics, industry creatives, etc. to highlight something that film school might not have taught you. We're branching out into something new today because we're not just looking at a film, we're looking at literature too. Our special guest on the podcast today is an author and an academic at Northumbria University and we're here talking to her about her novel, Tell It to the Bees. It's Fiona Shaw. How are you doing, Fiona? I'm good, thank you. Nice to be here. Good to have you. Thank you. It wouldn't be an Above the Line podcast without some other members of the Above the Line team to accompany me. So today we've got the creative head of Above the Line and Candle and Bell, Maria Caramana Galizia. How are you, Maria? Hi, Simon. I'm super excited to be here. And thank you, Fiona, for agreeing to be on this podcast today. Very enthusiastic. We like it. And we also have our social media and moral support guru, who is also <laughs> a budding author herself, Lucy Rose. How are you doing, Lucy? Hi, I'm good. Very excited to have this this chat. It's going to be a, a fun one, I think. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. Our main approach today is to talk to Fiona about her experience having her novel adapted into a film, which actually happened to Tell It to the Bees about three years ago. It was adapted by sister writing duo Henrietta and Jessica Ashworth, directed by Isabel Jankel, and that. led by Anna Packin and Holiday Granger. I'll ask you, Fiona, to pitch this because obviously you know the material better than anybody else on the planet. So uh, can you tell us what you're not about? <laughs> sure. Um, my novel uh, began with the thought, began, it began because I fell in love with a woman and I've got two daughters and um, I was thinking about what that might have been like at another time, if I'd been born at another time. Uh, so a lot of what, what happened is the ordinary difficult stuff of a family, of, of, of a new relationship and a family you know, in that situation. But um, I thought the, the fact that I was, I was involved with another woman and moved in with another woman was relatively straightforward for me uh, at this time. And uh, when I began to kind of look into what might have, what might, the situation might have been uh, in the past, the, the thing that I was most fearful of uh, would have been losing my children um, for sure. And I thought, well, I'm gonna, I, think, I think this is something that I want to explore, um, but I want to explore it by way of both the women's experience, but also the child's experience. And I said it, decided to set the novel in the 1950s because I thought, well, it's before the decade in which I was born. Um, so it's outside any of my lived experience, even my lived experience as a small child. When I was research, doing some research into the kind of legal situation that women and men would have faced um, in the past in Britain, I realized I could have set the novel any time, probably up to the, the mid seventies, end of the seventies, and the same, a, a female couple or a male couple would have faced the same risks, which is that if it had come to court, they probably would have lost custody or access to their children, might well have done. Um, so actually I could have set it later, but I chose to set it in the 1950s. And, I, and it was always a three, it was always in my mind, a three-hander story. It was a story about two women falling in love, but it was also a story about a small boy or a small child. and 
how he figures this, how it happens to him, how it how he understands it. And in a sense, in the novel, what what happened in the novel was then that in a way, Charlie, who's the little boy, who's about ten, he becomes a sort of barometer really for what's happening in the wider community or the wider community's response. So he sees and understands at a child level and, re and reacts, but he also, of course, doesn't understand the whole story. But his a kind of emotional understanding is is very much part of what goes on as well. So it's a story about, uh, it's a love affair, but it's also a story about prejudice and the kind of lengths people will go to, to defend both their love, but also their belief systems, if you like. That's putting it a bit starkly. And it's also about a young boy sort of, you know, trying to make sense of this crazy world as he, of adults. It's very funny, we, we were just talking about that yesterday, weren't we, Simon? Mm -hmm. All the big questions that we have about life and how, you know, I think even you feel like, you know, I'm 25. I don't think I'm ever going to figure it all out, what it all means. <laughs> um, we'd really like to know how you were approached by people in wanting to adapt your work and what that process was like. Was it quite a vulnerable process for you? Because obviously it's a story really close to you. So we'd love to know how that sort of came about and what it was like for you. It was actually very straightforward um, in a way. My, um... I had a film agent for the film, um, separately from my literary agent, uh, Toby Moorcroft. At the time, he was working for, he was part of Sales Screen. He was an agent at Sales Screen. And I just got an email from him one day saying, um, there's a, a director who's also represented by Sales Screen, who's just read Tell It's the Bees and has fallen in love with it and wants to look at trying to adapt it. Are, you know, would you be interested? Do you want to meet her? Um, and so, and that had come about because she'd finished a project. She said to her agent, I'm looking for love stories. Her agents talked to Toby at Sales Screen who said, we'll try this novel. And, that, and she read it. So that's, so it came about in that kind of a way. And so we did then meet and that was pretty important to me because if I'd felt that, you know, that her understanding of what my book was doing and my understanding were in totally different places, that would have felt very problematic. Um, at that stage, all options were on the table and it was a very preliminary kind of meeting. She just talked about what she really liked about the book and her take on it and you know how she understood the characters. And we talked at that level. So it was, in a sense, a rather bookish conversation, probably our first one. Um, so that's how it began. And then, it, then it's really over to them, of course. You know, she has to go and find the money to option the novel, begin to develop a script and so on. And as a writer, I always felt sort of you're very much at the margins of that. I was very curious and always wanted to know, but also recognise that's a whole world in itself. And I will, I'm a kind of fly on the wall figure, really. So I just, yeah, that's, that, that's how it began anyway. So interesting. It's, I think it's interesting because it's, I don't really know anything about this, how it's sort of taken forward. So it's actually quite out of your hands then and you don't really have much say over what's what's going on very very little my I got two really good pieces I think well they were for me anyway really helpful pieces of advice one from my from Claire Alexander who's my literary agent who's in the best sense um pessimistic about things or she or rather she sort of takes that she's very optimistic or she's very positive and affirmative about her writers but she also she said look enjoy this process for as long as it goes on but recognize that most books that get optioned do not get made into films Hmm. Um, the stats for that are very poor. So, so basically, don't go assuming that this is going to end up being a movie because it probably won't. Um, so enjoy it, enjoy the process. So that was one good piece of advice, um, which was very sound, and I think for me anyway. And the other piece of advice was from Toby, who is my the, the film agent, who 
talked with me before, sort of in that very, very early moment said, think now really hard about whether you want to be the script writer, whether you want to adapt this film. If you powerfully do want to adapt it and you have, you, you're a script writer and you, he knew I wasn't a script writer, but if you have any script experience or if you passionately feel that you want to do it, then know that now that's what we'll have in mind and we'll proceed with. But if you are in any doubt of that, or if you don't want to be really clear that you're not going to. So I thought, well, actually, I'm really clear that I'm not going to. I don't have any skill set in that area. I've got no experience. And I know it's a kind of difficult, you know, it's a challenging industry for people who are knowledgeable, have experience, have training and written scripts. So I'm going to duck out of that. So I said that. And he then said, OK, well, and then my second thing to say to you is if the novel you wrote is your baby, you know, that's yours from beginning to end. And the novel that got published is the novel to the best of your ability that you were able to write. Whatever happens with this script and this film, if it happens, will be someone else's baby. It's not yours. So as far as possible, again, just recognise that it won't be your thing. Um, that was very, very useful um, to hold in mind. Uh, so those are the kind of bits of advice I had at the start. I can't remember what your question was now. Oh, God, neither can I. <laughs> it was more like, what was the process like? And I think you've answered that pretty Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that was the start of the process. So Yeah. Yeah. What were the biggest yeah. changes to your text? I don't know if you want to go into spoilers or not. Or, <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but... There were, I mean, there were a lot of changes to the text. I think mm. actually there were different script writers involved in the project. So there was a, there was a script writer who wrote a, an earlier version of the script and then Hen and, and um, Jessica were, in, were the script writers whose script was made. So one of the things I noticed when I first read a first draft of their script was it didn't have a single line of my dialogue um, in their script. So none of the words from my book make their way into their film. And I was kind of a bit sort of taken aback, I have mm -hmm. to say, because I quite like some of my dialogue. Um, <laughs> while recognising that, of course, they take the story in all kinds of, they do the kinds of things you have to do if you're going to adapt a book to a film. But when I talked to them, we had a really interesting discussion after the film was finished, I think after the film was shot about script writing and about process, um, the three of us. And when they described their process, I, that made more sense to me. They'll read the book, you know, extensively or they'll repeat, read the book a number of times and make notes and, you know, do a lot of work at that stage, but then they'll put, put the book away to write the script. Mm -hmm. um, so they don't have the book open in front of them when they're writing the script. So inevitably then they're not going to have the phrases you know and, and that for them that's very important because they need to feel free to respond to the story as the writers that they are so I do understand that but I did feel sad um mm. to <laughs> that that um that, that the language from my book doesn't make its way in verbally if you like mm -hmm. um so that was one thing I mean there's been a it's been talked about a lot but there's change to the ending which has um, caused the most as I knew it would and as I warned them that it would um, or, or said to them that it would um, there's a change to the ending which has caused a lot of a lot of people have made a lot of women were very cross about it or lesbians were very cross about it um, and I don't know I don't think it I don't think it will spoil the film to say that when I was writing the book one of the things that was really important to me as a writer was that my characters could have the possibility of a plausible enough happy ending mm -hmm. and it was a political decision to write that ending as a woman writing in a gay relationship writing a novel about two gay characters because women don't because gay characters get killed off and you know, they either kill themselves or they get done in 
or they're psychopaths or whatever. And, and, you know, like many other people, I was very tired of that. So I was absolutely clear that they needed to be able to end the novel as a couple, um, believably. And, and have a future beyond the ending itself. Not and just have a that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I did a bit of, you know, I did, had to be thinking about it because it wasn't set now. It wasn't as straightforward. But I had an ending that I knew other women had made happen and other male couples um, reading about other writers and other figures, you know, past figures, living lives as couples in the 1950s. So that's the ending I gave it. And that's the ending that the film crew felt that they, they felt they wanted a more cinematic ending was one of mm. the things that they felt. And so they changed that. Uh, and I would have liked my ending or a version of my ending, but I understand where they're coming from. I don't think that they maybe as fully understood the politics of it. Mm-hmm. Could, I, could I chip in with like a little question here? Sorry. Yeah. It's just, um, so I'm queer as well. And I think one of the things I'm always coming across in writing uh, with queer characters is that the stories are told not for queer audiences, but for straight audiences. And so I think a lot of that trauma when mm. we're writing about queer trauma is not actually for queer people who go in to see these stories. I actually think it's for um, straight audiences to try and understand and empathise with that trauma. I'd love to know what mm. you think about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that may be so, Lucy. That, yeah, I mean, and in which case I think it would be a, probably a form of, I mean, we've all got it, but it would be a straight person's form of unconscious bias so that they would probably be not aware of the fact that they were wanting, as it were, their, their people in this respect to understand mm. a story in a way that our, my people don't need to be, <laughs> don't, don't need to understand. We know it already. Yeah. Or your, our people. Yeah, possibly. That's, that's really interesting. I've never... I'm going to start looking at media now exactly like that through that lens <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I chip in with a very poorly articulated question that I've just been about? <laughs> um, uh, when we think about LGBTQ uh, representation on screen, um, obviously you come from the world of publishing and literature and novels, but do you ever find it hugely problematic? Because I think this is only a conversation that has started up quite recently in the film industry. And um, from my perspective as a filmmaker and film producer, so what do you think that, you know, again, like are we guilty of sort of perpetuating these narratives that queer relationships can only end in tragedy? And um, I kind of feel like quite angry with the entire film industry sometimes, because I think we're part of, you know, we're reinforcing those stereotypes and sending that message to young queer people. Um, So do you think there's a lot of, I kind of feel like there is a lot of work to do in terms of film and the way we talk about these narratives and depict people from the queer community on screen? Um, There is a question in there. I'm just going (laughs) to ask your your, your thoughts. Uh, I think, I mean, I think I have to speak here as, a, as somebody who watches film rather than as a, just another member of, a, of an audience rather than anything else, because I don't have any expertise. And I'm also probably not widely enough read in film terms. I, well, I haven't viewed enough. But I'm, I mean, I suppose what I hope is that I think you're right that, I mean, I, that's why I wrote that ending to that book. Um, but you can see, you know, that, that's, it's been the case in literature as well as in film. I, I suppose what I hope is that that the shift that's happening is that the story does my story is all about the fact that it's a gay it's a gay relationship but it seems as though the shift in film and tv is that now gay characters queer characters 
figure far more largely and it doesn't have to be about their queerness it's just that that's also who they happen to be mm. and that that seems like an important shift um i think the fact that lots of gay women got very cross about the ending of my book um cross sounds like a slightly small-minded thing i think it's very good that they did and i'm glad mm. that people vocalized it about my about the adaptation of my book sorry I think that's really helpful and might give people pause when they're adapting future stories that don't already have a sad ending um, that they won't necessarily you know they don't add one in i don't know what do you what do you think lucy because you're actually more involved in film and watching film and thinking about film than i am and you're also uh, you know a queer i think i remember the so i knew that i wasn't straight from a very young age because i was cutting pictures of women out of magazines and making collages on <laughs> sugar paper um but <laughs> I think I remember watching Buffy for the first time and obviously what happens with Willow is horrible and I remember that happening and thinking I'm never gonna be happy <laughs> so okay. I can I kind of feel like actually what we have on screen and what we read in books is so so important so I'm kind of glad that people made a fuss about tell it to the bees because there is totally a place for these sad stories but it just doesn't have to be every story that's told and yeah that's kind of what I think <laughs> yeah yeah and I suppose I'd I suppose what I'd add to that also is that I mean some people have said um on Twitter and so on why did you let them do that you should have you should have stopped them or you should have stopped them making the film or da, da, da. but I thought I actually I think that would have been situation is as a writer is you don't have you actually have very little clout you have clout until the point at which they buy the rights and then you have no clout but the choice for me was between having a film made of my book that was would be out there or not having the film made at all ever probably then the, it's kind of it's an obvious one to me which I'm gonna, which one I'm going to go for even though I, I you know it's an ending that I wouldn't have chosen so that's where I stood on that and that's how I've responded to women who've said, mm. why did you, you know, you should have, you should have said no. Said, no, <laughs> because, and actually the, the film has taken a lot of people to my book, which obviously I'm delighted about as well. So in a kind of pragmatic sense, it would have been shooting myself in the foot to do that. <laughs> um, it kind of leads nicely onto the next question, I think, which is what parts of the experience did you and did you not enjoy? So I'd love to hear more about, I suppose, maybe it sounds a little bit like you disappeared in the middle and you came back at the end and kind of watched the film and enjoyed it and you were there at the beginning so what what was that I suppose it must be so vulnerable to give over those words that you've spent so many years writing and developing so I'd just love to know the I, yeah. yeah oh yeah okay no I think um I think I didn't I did I mean I've talked a bit about my sort of surprised they didn't use any of my words but I th think I really had decided made I made a decision that I kind of kept to inside myself that this was not my this was not my baby it was theirs so I didn't feel distressed about it I felt a bit kind of slightly peeved briefly but I was also really interested in the filmmaking process and every now and then Annabelle the director would get in touch with me and write an email about where things were at I mean sometimes you know nine months would go by or more and I and I kind of assumed that they hadn't been able to get the next bit of funding together and that was it but then something would happen and there they you know it would be continuing and with both both the earlier script writer but then with um, Ashworth sisters they did send me drafts and they did want notes and that was a really interesting process and I, I really I very much enjoyed talking with both Annabelle and Daisy uh, Daisy the producer and the Ashworths 
about the script. And I had the sense, and I, and I sent back lots of notes, and I had the sense that my, the notes were always listened, you know, they always listened to the notes, and some, I responded to some of them. But I also was very, I could see very clearly that, that if they didn't agree, they would simply ignore them because they needed to, you know, their, their list of criteria and what they wanted to do and why was, was in a very different place from mine. So I really enjoyed that kind of process. And um, when things began to come together before the shooting of the film, that was also, you know, just coming, as I'm sure you understand, from outside the industry, it's completely fascinating. I'm trying to work out, you know, understanding how this happens and the kind of extraordinary process by which you have to, the producer has to get the, the filmmakers have to get the finance together and the actors together. And they have to kind of, as far as, this is from the outside, obviously, but as far as I can understand, they have to, it's like a sleight of hand. So you have to convince the people with the money that you've got the actors and you have to convince the actors that you've got the money at the same time and if you can somehow do it, then you get the film made. But I mean, I, it just seems sort of extraordinary to me. And the kind of, anyway, but, so I was very interested by that. And then the part of it all that I absolutely loved was, was actually going and being on set, which I did, they were incredibly, the, the whole of the film crew were very, very kind of welcoming to me. And I went up with one of my daughters. I went up with my partner, went up on my own. So it was shot in Scotland and I live in the North of England. So it would be sort of, you know, off I went again for a weekend and it was just fascinating. Um, so that was really, really interesting. And seeing what had begun on, a, you know, what, what I wrote on a page, just in text, I mean, obviously figured differently as I've just already sort of said, but also figured in, in three dimensions, but also added in with the music added with the costume and talking to the, listening to the costume designer, talking about how she'd conceived of, of the story and the kinds of costumes she was, putting the, the actors into and why. That was wonderful to hear, mm. really in, so interesting. And the sound guys, and so all that side of it, uh, you know, I went up as a, somebody who knew very little and it was fascinating. And the more so because it was about a story that I knew an awful lot about. Yeah. I imagine it must've been quite touching to see everybody putting their own spin and all that effort into your work yeah, on a technical level, very, you know, it's, building you know, a world. Yeah, completely, complete time. And I, I mean, there was this very strange moment for me when I sat there, when I heard one of them, one person say, um, I think it was, where's Jean gone? And I thought, I don't remember trying to work out what to call her, that, you know, what to call Jean, sitting at the end, who's one of the two main characters. I trying to work out their name, sitting at my desk in this, you know, this small room in York. I'm thinking, well, should, what should I call them? I could call it Jean, but I don't. And then there suddenly there's this whole film crew all calling this person Jean that I've invented. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you always think that the story could be a film? I know you actually you might have answered that already, but was there uh, ever a moment where you just went, oh, no, this could be a cinematic story as well as a, a literary one? I mean, I think I hadn't really imagined it that it would ever be a film. I was really pleased that uh, that... Claire, my agent, wanted to send it to Toby, the film agent. I thought, well, that's, you know, that's, that's great. But I didn't, I think until I got, when I got the email then saying somebody wants to option it, then I started thinking, oh my God, okay, maybe it could be. Um, it's a novel that often described as people, somebody describes it as a quiet novel, which in the, in the literary industry world basically means, look, we think it's beautiful, but we're not sure that it's really going to sell. Um, that's often the it's a kind of it's a kind of snub, but um, but actually a lot of the novels I love reading are so-called quiet novels. Um, you know, Elizabeth Bowen writes quiet novels, and I think she's a genius. So um, I hadn't allowed myself to think very much about it 
becoming a film. It seemed an implausible thing that it might happen. That, I've got a question that I've been dying to ask you for actually <laughs> okay. a really long time. Um, <laughs> okay. And now seems like the perfect moment to ask you because, um, so you're obviously one of the tutors on the MA and you have been a brilliant guidance to me, especially during the writing sessions and all of your editing tips, just amazing. Um, and I feel like I'm sort of going through writing my novel for the for this you know and it's it's really scary and it's such an intimate process so I think what I would love to know from you is like did this film change your relationship with the book that you've written right um I don't think it did actually um I think it made me think I mean think watching a film get written or get constructed out of my novel made me think a lot about the pace of my story and also be, I mean, I was aware that there's a scene in, in my novel, which as it were, Lydia, who's the other main character, is a, is a moment of terrible crisis for her, um, sort of two thirds of the way through the story. And she's sitting at a table. I think she's sitting at the kitchen table or she's doing something like that, but she's, she's sitting and she's thinking. And I can remember having, I don't know what the conversation was, a conversation with somebody in the film lot. And they said, look, we can't, you can't do that in a film. You can't have a character sit and think because You've, we've got no interior monologue going on here we, on, on the, in the film. So things like that made me very aware of some of the process of writing a novel and how very different it is, how much you have to construct a world. Um, and it's both the kind of privilege of writing a novel and it's also the challenge of writing a novel. But it didn't, but the, the film being made didn't make me actually think particularly differently about my book in other ways. I mean, I've, I've, I've been aware that sometimes people, readers of the book who've come to it via the film, Lots of them have written lovely reviews and comments and stuff, but occasionally somebody gets very frustrated with the book because they feel it's much too slow and why have they got this stupid child in there? And who wants to know about the end of a marriage? You know, I think, well, that's, those are all the reasons I wrote the book, but you know, <laughs> there, there it is. You're sorry, guy, you know. There it is. Um, but it doesn't change my sense of the book. So I suppose, why were you asking the question, Lucy? Were you sort of thinking, just I'm just curious to know because I think when you spend I don't know like I feel like with my own writing I have such a weird relationship with it um and I think we I've done it as we've done it as an experiment where I've given my prose to somebody to adapt into script and I've I've felt so strange then returning to the prose and I was I don't know it was, it's just an interesting question I think because mm -hmm. I, I find that when I write prose, it's a completely different process to when I write script, like worlds apart. Like I don't, it's so difficult to articulate, I suppose, but yeah, no, I guess I just, I wondered if you felt differently about the book after seeing this sort mm -hmm. of, almost in a sense, it's like doppelganger appear yeah, on, the, yeah. on the scene. Yeah. I think, I think perhaps it's strange. I think perhaps because my book was thoroughly finished and published and out there before the film began to be adapted. I think mm. what you, in, in having a piece of your ongoing, your draft work adapted, I think that's a much stranger and maybe more, you know, kind of arresting kind of process to, to go through as a writer because you're then returning to something that you're continuing to write, but not in script form. So I think mm. that's really interesting though. I mean, I think it, that would be another very interesting podcast would be to hear from writers who are both, script writers and novelists, um, or indeed who've adapted their own work, like Emma Donoghue, for example, who wrote the screenplay for Room as well as writing the novel. You know, that oh, would be- Such a brilliant book and film. Um, so, so harrowing, but I remember, uh, so I read the book before I watched the film and I watched the film and I was like, the film was just so, 
amazing and respectful and like then obviously I saw that she'd written it and I was like oh that's why yeah (laughs) um yeah big fan big fan um yeah me too me too what is the next question I don't want to bang on about my silly fan questions for much longer (laughs) I'm um I'm interested to kind of get an idea from uh Fiona maybe you have some tips for people like me who read books but are not in the literary world and are thinking oh it'd be nice to approach this writer to adapt their novel sort of what what would you think are the top do's and don'ts <laughs> no gosh um <laughs> I really valued I guess right everyone's different but for me I really valued being kept in the loop <laughs> I know it sounds a really basic thing but um I think perhaps that the sometimes the in the film side of things can it's a very it's a very kind of as you'll know as obviously you'll know better than me it's a very intensive process and you have to kind of give it your all and it's so if you're adapting a book by somebody who's alive and living as an author I think it's easy for the film side of things that for the people to forget how important the, the original text is or the book is I don't mean that, that they should hold it sacrosanct I more just mean that the writer's very invested as well it's not that they expect to be I didn't expect to be involved and insulted and for you know for people to ask you know to take my direction but it was immensely valuable to me when they people were in touch and made me you know kept my part of that whole process in play if you like as the founding figure in this story (laughs) it's not putting it terribly clearly so I suppose you check out with the right with the writer but if you can stay in touch with the writer then that's really valuable I know that other writers have had a much harder time sometimes with film makers adapting their work and have felt much more used I don't feel used Um, I disagreed with some of the things they did I loved other things they did but I think they did their best AJ the director especially uh, to keep me in the know about what was happening and that's a really that's a really good tip because I think I guess sort of adaptation is quite a tricky thing because you cinema and uh, novel are completely different ways of telling a story and um, sometimes you can get carried away thinking, oh, I have a better idea than the novel. But then the novel worked as itself <laughs> and is obviously very important to people that are fans of the novel. And the novel is what inspired you to tell it to, mm. to cinema. So I guess understanding that balance, I suppose, would be crucial to any producer or director, or even, the, you know, the actual writers, definitely. Yeah. Turning it into a screenplay. Yes, yes. I think, I mean, it was definitely again something I learned learned a lot about in a short space of time was about how much I mean I knew it in principle but I didn't I'd never experienced it about how much if you're adapting a novel how much you have to lose um, because a novel has so many you know that has all these different threads and minor characters and so on and a lot of that has to go and I sort of understood it in principle but seeing it happen in action again was kind of whoa okay so that's got to go and that's got to go but it was sort of it was really interesting so but again it was helpful when people when you know a conversation about why you know why that decision had been taken to 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 drop that or to or to change that or to bring things into one place you know novels again in a novel you can you can have scenes happen wherever you like as long as you can write it in um and at different times and you know my novel happens over the course of probably a year the the film happens over the, the film story happens over the course of summer um my characters didn't all come from you know in the book um Jean who's a, who's a doctor grew up somewhere else and then comes to the town in which the story happens in the film they've made her backstory you know she grew up in the town 
and her story happens in the same town. And so there's a kind of consolidation, a bit like we see even more for TV, where everything has to happen sort of simultaneously on top of itself. Um, so again, kind of, it was helpful just talking, you know, in the just in a natural way, having a conversation about that and thinking, oh yeah, of course you couldn't have that happen over that period of time, because it's just not going to work within 90 minutes um, mm -hmm. and on a screen. Yeah. I mean, I can really see why short stories make sometimes some of the great films have made of out of short stories. Like, I mean, like Brokeback Mountain, for example. Um, yeah, or I don't know if anyone's seen like uh, Jindabyne. I was very, I love, uh, Raymond Carver is a short story writer I love. And um, Altman's used his short stories for shortcuts, but um, there was a film called Jindabyne that came out in, it's set in Australia. And it just uses one of his stories, which is an eight page story roughly called So Much Water, So Close to Home. It's a very powerful story, but Jindabyne just does a brilliant kind of relocation of it. But because it's just a short story, of course, you just got the bones. So you can, in a way, in the film can flesh out rather than having to cut down, it can build up, which is because it's a short story. That's so interesting. I'd never even thought about taking something like a short story and making it into a 110 page screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that would be an interesting one to have a look at. I think Jinder, I thought it was a, it's a, it's a good, it's a powerful film and it's a great short story. So I'd recommend both. That um, might be just the next podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, then maybe we all get Jinder Bain watch for next time. Yeah. We mm -hmm. shall see. We shall see. <laughs> um, thank you to Fiona for talking to us today. We hope it's managed to demystify adaptation somewhat and taught you a bit about how the worlds of film and literature interact thank you to maria and lucy for spurring on the discussion too uh, always a pleasure having you both on until next time thank you to you the listener speak soon bye 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 bye, bye. <laughs>